Hi, my name is Sam Williams, and welcome to the first ever original music special episode of my 60 music podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. So first of all, welcome. Like to welcome all you to the first ever original music special episode of my sixty music podcast, the Millennial Throwback Machine. I am Sam Williams, and for those of you who are just now discovering this podcast, either on the Apple Podcast app, or in Stitcher, or in iHeartRadio, or Google Play Music, or on Spotify, and you're wondering, so what the heck is Zums give you a brief description of what the show is all about? Okay, so I'm Sam Limbs, and I'm a 25-year-old songwriter slash producer, but I'm also a 60 music fan slash expert slash learn. Each week of this podcast, I take one song by one artist in the 60s and put the show in two parts. First part, so I talk about my opinion of the song and why I think it's so good, or why I think it sucks, and do my own personality on the range of the song, which will include the chords, million lyrics. And the second part, so I dig deep into the history behind that track. And that part, so I talk about who wrote the song, who produced it, was to you the song as a choreograph, where the two missions in the song were to be the session musicians or members themselves, history behind the songwriters who wrote the song, the producers produced it, and the studio the song as a choreograph, where the studio is located at, and the peak position the song made up originally in the Billboard Hot 100 charts when it first came out, in the year and month the song was released, all that is in the second part of the show. Now, before we move on to this week's episode of the podcast, um... I'm sure you noticed something a little different about this week's episode that you probably weren't expecting. Uh, This episode of this podcast is not is going to be unlike anything I've done on my show before. Um, You know, I've I say at the beginning of every single show that I am a songwriter slash producer slash 60 music fan slash expert slash nerd. And I feel like you guys may may or may not be accessing the songwriter aspect of me, um, because basically, um, what I do, you know, at the end of every episode is that I say, hey, you know, you can check out my, more of my music on my website, or you can check out more of my music, you know, in the links in the description of each episode of this podcast, and you know, when those links will take you to. Uh, four or five different places where you can find my music if you like to listen to it. And I've noticed that there's quite a few people who are listening to this podcast all over the world, but I noticed that those that those uh, cities are not necessarily translating to the people that listen to my music. I mean, there's a few cities from people that listen to my music that also listen to my podcast, but, um, you know, there's a lot of people that listen to my podcast I notice that I notice don't listen to my music on Spotify, at least, and even on Apple Music. So, um, so today, this is going to be really, really cool because you're about to hear a whole new segment of this podcast, and I'm introducing you to you guys, and these segments are going to be called the Original Music Special Episodes. And, you know, the reason why they're called Original Music Special Episodes is because... I'm, you know, instead of covering a song from the 60s um, that I, you know, I talk about, I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to be covering one of my own songs. And, uh, and look, I mean, just to, just to let you guys know, I mean, I've said this before in my podcast, my music is very much influenced by music from the 60s. 
So it's not totally far off from all the stuff I talk about on my show. It's very much in line with the music I talk about on my podcast. So you're not going to be hearing, you know, songs that don't sound anything like music from the 60s because, you know, that's not true. They definitely have that 60s sound. It's very, very cool. Um, You know, I think you guys are really going to like these songs, Um, you know, and this is the first one. So I'm probably going to do another one at some point in the future. But uh, this week, I'm, you know, and and this is going to be really fun for me because as a musician and songwriter, I love to talk about the craft of songwriting and the craft of, you know, coming up with lyrics for songs and coming up with melodies and chord changes. So, um, you know, this is going to be really cool because you, when you listen to this episode, you guys are going to get a really good insight as to my songwriting abilities and the way I write my music and, you know, sort of my insights as a songwriter. And because I love talking about, you know, my, my, my insights as a songwriter. And, you know, it's something I, you know, don't often get asked about. So I'm very excited to share with you guys. You know, I'm, I'm basically, the way this is going to work is that it's going to be the same sort of structure. You know, it's going to be the same. I'm going to talk about the, the, how, what makes a song so good musically and lyrically. And as far as the history behind this song, I'm going to keep it brief, but I'm, I will talk about what inspired me to write this song and, you know, what were some of the musical influences that went into rec- the production and the recording of this song. So that's something I'm definitely going to be talking about and also talk about the journey that the song went through when I first started producing it versus the final product that you're hearing right now. And then for the music out, musical aspect of it, I'll tear the song apart and break it down as far as the theory of it is concerned, show you what makes a song so cool musically. And then the lyrical section, I'll talk about why you would be able to like this song and also why it means so much to me right now as well. So without further ado... This is the first ever original music episode of the show, and let's get to it. Moving on, let's get started in this week's song, shall we? Okay, so I this is one of my own songs, and this is the song just came out on the EP I just put out over Memorial Day weekend, and I can't begin to tell you how much I love this song. It's probably one of my favorite original songs that I've written you know, recently, because I've been writing songs since I was 16 years old. So, you know, looking back at a lot of my old songs, um, I noticed that they're, they're, they're good. I still like them, but there's something about this song and a lot of the songs I just put out on this EP, something that is just really, really solid about them. There's something different. There's something really, really cool that is not there with a lot of my older songs. And I think what's what's there in a lot of my new music that just came out that isn't really there in a lot of my older songs is the personal, uh, you know, sort of the fact that when you guys listen to a lot of these songs, you're getting a good insight into my life, you know, with, with women and girls, and you're getting to hear my personal experiences with that and you're not hearing anybody else's except for mine for the most part so you know with these songs that are on this EP you're hearing sort of the the things that I've been through you know as a man attract trying to attract girls and 
that's exactly what you're hearing when you're hearing a lot of these songs off this EP. And a lot of my older songs, you know, are kind of written from someone else's perspective, someone else's, you know, love life situations that weren't necessarily mine. So that's that's what makes these songs off of this EP so special. And that's why I love them so much, because it's my perspective on relationships. It's my viewpoint on it. it's my point of view on these things. And, you know, that's what makes these songs so great, because you know, you guys are hearing me, you know, my, my experiences with girls and, you know, and, you know, you're hearing my take on it, which might be different from other people's. So without further ado, let's get started in this week's song. Okay. So I, I love this song so much. It's incredible. I mean, it's so catchy and it's so cool and it's just, the arrangement isn't, is just insane. Um, you know, the, the, the playing on this record, which is all me, by the way, is just awesome, too, because it's like, you know, there's such a killer groove happening in the song. It's just it's so infectious and it's so just, you know, like really, really tight, and really, really strong. And it just sounds incredible. I mean, I mean, I just you know, the push and pull between the bass and the drums and just the organ just doing the whole notes. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. And it's one of those songs where, you know, if you listen to it closely, you can almost imagine it being played in a stadium full with, with, a, with a crowd of at least 50,000 people just screaming. And you can kind of hear the song starting to play and you can hear those people screaming and then you can just imagine the atmosphere of this song starting and you can kind of picture that in your head and this song is just amazing i love it so much and it's a really really cool track and it's so catchy and i'm pretty pretty sure the song's gonna get stuck in your head you know if you're listening to it for the first time from listening to this episode this podcast it's just so good okay all right, so let's get to it. All right, so I wrote this song in the summertime of 2019, and I started recording it, actually, at the end of 2019 and uh, beginning of 2020. And uh, this is one of my own songs, and it's my all-time favorite on this EP. The name of the song is called Keeper in My Back Pocket. <laughs> I'll keep her in my back pocket even though she's got someone I'll keep her in my back pocket cause maybe one day she'll have no one I'll keep her in my back pocket even though she's got someone I'll keep her in my back pocket cause maybe one day she'll have no one Holy shit, wow, that song is absolutely incredible. Damn, I love this record. Holy shit, this song is just amazing. Wow, I mean, it's just it's just incredible. It's so catchy and so hooky. And as per usual, I'm going to talk about what makes this song so cool, both musically and lyrically. But first, let's get into the song's music. Okay, so... Now, now that you guys are hearing one of my songs for the first time, 
you know, it, it might be, it might very be your fir- your first time hearing one of my songs because I'm not sure if you guys have clicked on the links in the description of this episode of this podcast. So this might be your first time hearing one of my own songs, uh, you know. But now that you're hearing one of them, I'm gonna break down for you guys exactly my process as a songwriter and show you guys how I sort of like to do things as a songwriter. Um, but first, let me just explain to you exactly how songs come to me, because I play four different instruments. Um, I'm a guitar player. I play I play uh, keys and I play bass, um, but I also can program drums really well, and uh, I can play drums too, but I rarely do. It's, it's I almost never play drums. I mostly program them. Um, so... If you're wondering, okay, Sam, so how do songs come to you normally? Well, usually the way songs come to me, they come to me in one or two ways. One way is I'm at my guitar or I'm at my piano and I'm jamming on a chord progression and I come up with a melody and then the lyrics come after that. And that's one way. Another way, and this is something that uh, I've, I, this is a process that I've done over and over and over again for a lot of my, a lot of different songs that I've written. And this is a process that I've, you know, it's, it's worked well for me in the past. And it, and it's usually, it's usually um, something that is, you know, tried and true for me because this is always something that's always resulted in some of my best songs. Um, the lyrics will come first. So a lot of times, you know, I'll have a title for a song, you know, like a phrase or something, you know, will stick out, something will happen in my life. And then out of that experience, a phrase will stick out in my head, like a one line phrase. And then and then I think to myself, OK, that sounds cool. I think I could use that for a song title. And then as soon as I have that that phrase right once I have that, that phrase, then what happens is that I come up with the rest of the lyrics. And a lot of times it starts with the chorus. So I'll have the chorus, you know, title first, which is the hook. And then I'll have the rest of the chorus done basically lyrically. And then when I write the rest of the lyrics, you know, it just it's just easy. Like I had the first verse, second verse, I got the pre-chorus, you know, and then next thing you know, the song is done lyrically. And then sometimes the challenging part is coming up with music to match those lyrics. But for me, when I write my lyrics, is that one thing that I always keep in mind about when I write my lyrics is that I, I, I try to write lyrics that match to that are going to match to a melody. I don't write lyrics like I'm writing poetry where, I'm, where it's going to be like spoken out loud, you know, without a melody. So usually when I write my lyrics, I have this sort of iambic pentameter sort of thing in mind, knowing that there's going to be melody put to those lyrics and it's not just going to be poetry. So that's one thing that I always do whenever I write my lyrics. I never write lyrics like I'm going to write a poem. I always write lyrics knowing with the intention that there's going to be a melody put to it. So I always have that sort of iambic pentameter thing in mind, knowing that there's, you know, I always try to write lyrics that have a rhythm you know, that I can sort of, you know, you know, clap along to, or in a sense, you know, like, you know, even, even if there's no melody yet, I can, you know, kind of, kind of like, you know, half sing one half, not knowing that there's going to be melody put, put there, 
you know, when I when I write that lyric. So uh, that's one thing I always do whenever I write my lyrics is that I know is that I always try to write lyrics knowing that there's going to be a melody put there. And uh, and also and when it comes to music and this is what I'm going to spend some time on right now, uh, you know, a lot of songwriters when they write songs and again, it's like it's just this is this is just the way things are for a lot of musicians because there's only 12 notes. So there's only so much they can do. But what I've noticed about a lot of songwriters is that, um, you know, especially in specific genres, um, you know, a lot of times they'll stick to a lot of the same sort of chord changes over and over again, especially in genres like country music. Um, you know, they'll stick to the triads. They'll stick to the, you know, the, the, the minors, the, the, you know, the minor six major four or the, you know, the minor two major four chord changes, you know, they'll, they'll keep it simple, they'll keep it basic. And a lot of songs are like that. And a lot of songwriters, that's how they operate. You know, they don't really, they, they use a limited amount of chords when they write their songs and they don't really go past that. And, you know, and it's like, and look, I mean, I'm not saying that's not a bad way to write because so many huge hit songs are like that. You know, a lot of big songs, you know, have, you know, just the most basic chord changes where it's just there's not much to tell with the chord progression. It's just like one, five, four, one, you know, or one, six, one, five, six, four, one, six, four, five. I mean, it's just, you know, the a lot of songwriters think that the chord progression isn't the most important part of the song. It's more the lyric and melody. And I believe that there is some truth to that but for me you know as as a as a musician and as a songwriter uh i i really do my best to stand out from the crowd of musicians you know i i i really really do my best to sort of make my songs sound different you know have something about them that's that's unique that isn't isn't with a lot of other current stuff that's out right now. And the thing is with me is that with my songs is that, you know, as a musician, I remember when I was first learning how to play guitar and piano, I learned all the triads. I learned, you know, how to play those on guitar and I learned how to play those on the piano and I learned all the keys and I thought I was good to go because then I learned about, you know, uh, modal interchanges and I learned about, you know, key changes. And I'm like, OK, cool. You know, I can you know, I know how to do modal interchange and you know, I do a key change. But then what happened was later on in my musical journey, I discovered a whole nother well of uh, musical sort of, you know, you know, you know, sort of th uh, sort of. Uh, I, I learned a whole nother sort of I, I got access to a, 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 a sort of a whole nother set of tools, you know, that I didn't that for in, in a musical toolbox, I didn't even realize were there to begin with. And those musical tools that were in the toolbox there the whole time, because there's only 12 notes I didn't even realize were there, were major seven and minor seven chords. And once I discovered that tool, once I discovered those chords and once I realized, oh, shit, 
I could use these chords and make and you know utilize them and make them sound really really cool and suspended four chords. You know, uh, once I once I discovered what those chords were and once I figured out how to use them in the song, you know, obviously strategically and very much, you know, in a way that makes sense musically. Uh, you know, once I figured that out, I realized, oh shit, this is incredible. I mean, my songs are going to sound totally different, you know, in the pop sort of genre because they're going to be using these chords that nobody else is using. You know, I mean, a lot of people like to stick to the basic triads and, you know, don't, they don't really move past that. I mean, a lot of songs don't even use modal interchanges. So to use modal interchanges and major seven and minor seven chords and suspended four chords, I was like, holy shit, this is, this is just incredible. And I really, you know, I, I, when I discovered major seven and minor seven chords, I fell in love with the sound of them. They just sounded incredible. And I realized that with major seven and minor seven chords, you can basically, you know, take any cliche chord progression using a, using the triads and basically substitute the major seven and minor seven chords and you got something completely different. And that's what I realized and that's what I started doing when I, when I started writing my songs. And I discovered and when I discovered the suspended four chords, I realized that there was there was some real real estate right here fit, you know, knowing how to use those chords and knowing where to, where to place them in the song, you know, and knowing where to, where to, how to use those major seven and minor seven chords to make your, make my song sound different. Once I figured that out, I really didn't look back, you know, to using triads, you know, and it's just, it's one of those things where, and even like, for example, like I've talked about this before in my podcast, my favorite chord you know, of all time, which is a minor seven over 11. Once I discovered that chord, once I figured out what it was, I was like, holy shit, I'm going to use this. And this, which was this particular song, Keeper in My Back Pocket, um, I just, I did that. This is one of the, may, may have been, it, my, it probably was one of the first songs I wrote where I, I use this chord, but I knew what it was and I knew how to use it. You know, because I think there was one song that I wrote once before where I basically I utilized uh, that chord, but I didn't know what it was. I really, really didn't know what the, what, what that chord was. Um, so, I mean, you know, and this was the first song, one of the first songs I wrote where I, I realized what it was and I used it. It, it. it was it was one of them. I mean, it wasn't the very first one, but it was one of them, you know. So, I mean. You know, and I always try to look for when it, when it comes to writing chord progressions, I always try to look for ways in which I can sneak in a chord that a, a, a chord that's not your know, ear isn't really expecting to hear when you when you listen to it when you listen to the song, but it still sounds good and it still and it still doesn't sound weird, but it sounds you know, it it sounds unconventional, but it sounds unique and interesting, and it doesn't sound like you know uncomfortably weird. Um, and that's something I always do when I always try to write my chord progressions. But anyways, um, getting back to the song, uh, you know, the main thing I wanted to drive home about this particular song is that, like I just said, I just wanted this. I discovered major seven and minor seven chords, figured out how to use them. But the way I do it with this particular song is that I utilize major seven and minor seven chords and even six chords, too. Um, you know, to make a cliche sound, sounding chord progression sound different. 
I'm just going to explain to you what I'm talking about right now. So in this song, right, the main part of the song, which is the chorus, it, it's a four-chord chorus. You know, nothing nothing too crazy. There's four chords. But when you listen to it, it to your to your ears, it sounds basic. It sounds like a one, three, two, two. That's literally what it sounds like. You know, it sounds like it's I'm going from B flat major to D minor to C minor and then end at C minor, but it's totally different from that. And, you know, in fact, you know, it's basically B flat major seven, F six, E flat major seven, and then C minor seven over eleven. And that's totally different. You know, because F6 kind of sounds like D minor 7 because it's the same chord, just an inversion of it. And then E flat major 7 kind of sounds like C minor. You know, it's 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 almost it's almost the same chord, just a, just a few different uh, notes switched out. And then you got that C minor 7 over 11, which is my favorite chord because it creates 10. And it's, the cool part about this song is that you know, it, it, it creates tension. You hear that C minor seven over eleven, and you want to hear some. You want to hear that tension get released. You really, really want you want that to happen. And then once that, ha- well, the cool part about this song is that once you hear that C minor seven eleven, once you kind of get to uh, the 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 verses, that's when that tension gets released. When you hear that. You know the 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 uh you know the five the six and then and you hear the five the six and then you hear the four. So once you once you hear that five chord and then the minor six and the four, you know that's when you hear that tension get released. But you know another thing that I was trying to keep in mind about this song when I was writing it is that I was trying to create an arrangement. This was one of the first songs I wrote when I was trying to create an arrangement that builds. You know, something that it, where it starts out small and then it gets bigger and bigger as the song goes on, you know. And when I when I started writing the song, I realized, okay, so in the beginning, I just want to organ drums to really want to start small and sparse. And then once and then and then the bass comes in. And then once you hear the bass comes in, and then the drummer just hits the hi hat and then he keeps hitting the hi hat and then once he gets the chorus i mean once he gets the verse he explodes you know hits and then basically the whole drum the whole drum kit comes in for the verses and then once you kind of get to uh the pre-chorus that's when he does the, those snare drum hits and the other cool part about this song is that the organ sounds so spacious and so out of this you know it sounds so the thing is about this song is that the reason why i think it sounds like it, it could be used at a at a, con, at a at a concert with like fifty thousand people in the audience. Is that, you know, the ambience of the organ, you know, and the spaciousness of the sound of that instrument in the song, and and, and even 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 with the entire arrangement of the song too, is that it makes it sound perfect for you know a concert like that because you kind of want that sort of ambient spacious sound for like a big show like that, and also. Another cool part about this song is that this is also one of the first songs that I recorded where I wasn't playing chords to go along with the guitar. I was actually doing a single note um, guitar line, and I'll explain to you why I was trying to do that in in the next part of this podcast. Um, but the the single note guitar line with that fuzz tone guitar sounds incredible too. I mean, it's just it sounds again it adds that spaciousness with the within the arrangement. And, you know, another thing I'm very proud of of this song is the bass line. 
The bass line is just probably one of the coolest bass lines I've ever played in a, in a song before because it just sounds so groovy and it's so it's not basic. It's not just root, 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 and that's it. I'm I'm walking up and I'm going down and I'm and I'm playing like you know pentatonic you know things happening between in between the root notes. I mean I'm just I'm really I'm really just you know showcasing my abilities as a bass player and playing sort of things that uh you know that sound you know that sound like a really good bass player is playing and not just someone who's just you know playing the basic uh parts a, a bass player would normally play. Um and also. One thing, one cool thing about this song is that one one thing that you kind of that I actually want to point out to you once you kind of get when you listen to it is that in the pre-chorus when you hear those snare those snare hits and the and the and the and the and the and the, and the, uh, the the snare and kick hits, um, that's that that part is a Motown drum beat. It's actually taken from a couple different songs, and one of them is Pretty Woman by Will Orbison, but that that is a total Motown drum beat. And that's where you hear the '60s in the song as well as the key change because that's another thing that makes the song stand out from a lot of stuff you hear right now is the key change because you don't really hear many songs nowadays with key changes in them you really really don't and you know it's a it's a very uncommon thing nowadays to hear stuff with key changes well this song definitely has one and you know there's a couple more things i want to point out to you musically before i get on with the lyrics for the song um one of them is that one thing I want to want you to kind of pay attention for in the in the pre-chorus is that, um, you know, I start out with the D seven, and obviously that's a you know that's a that's a that's a that's a diminished uh, not it's a it's a it's a dominant it's a third dominant it's a third it's a it's a third dom third third dominant right, and then it goes to the to the to the two minor, but then after the two minor it, it goes to a flat seven, and that's kind of unexpected you don't you weren't really kind of expecting that and then once again it goes to flat seven this is when it gets really really cool because this is when the intention really really builds up and this is when things really just the 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 the, the, the intensity of this part is so cool and that is in uh the 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 this part of the song where you hear that that uh that suspended chord that f suspended chord it just sounds Unfreaking believable going into uh, the, uh, the 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 you know the chorus you know after after those last few snare hits and then everything kind of cuts out and you hear that drum fill and then basically the chorus kicks in it just sounds amazing and that's something unexpected because you're you know again if you have to be a really you know skilled musician who knows a lot about music theory to understand what suspended four chords are. And major seven and minor seven chords to really uh, understand first of all what they are and how to use them. So that's something to keep in mind too. Also, one more thing about this song musically before I get to lyrics is that um, the structure of this song is very very weird. And this is something that uh, I've I've uh, I've I've learned as a songwriter because once you kind of You've written a bunch of songs before. You understand what structure is like, and you get it. I'm like, okay, like you know, there's like eight bars for one section, eight bars for another section, eight bars for another section. Blah 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 blah. It's like you know, this how long the verses, how long the chorus is. This this is what you need to do when you get when you get done with the pre-chorus, and this is how you get into the chorus, and this is, and this is what you do for the second verse. It's like you you kind of get the idea for what, you know, a song is supposed to sound like structurally. 
But with this particular song, this is this is probably one of the weirdest aspects of the song structurally. But it's but it's what makes a song unique because I I can't think of another song that does this personally except for this one, um, and that is is that it starts out with a chorus you know quietly, and then it builds, and then once you can, and then it goes to the first verse, and then you get a pre-chorus, and then the chorus, but then I'm like you're like okay. First pre-chorus chorus, I get it, and then you get to the, and then you, and then here's what happens, is that you get to the second verse, and then you and then you hear the strings come in, and they're like, okay, he's gonna go to another pre-chorus. It's like it's that's gonna repeat. That's in your mind. That's what you're thinking, right? But then what happens is that it doesn't go to that pre-chorus again. It goes straight to the chorus, and then the song goes out after that, and it goes in the key change. So that's a little weird. Because when you write a song with that structure, verse, pre-chorus, chorus, it's very much industry standard to get to a second pre-chorus or to have that pre-chorus repeat again for another time. And But in this song, you only hear the pre-chorus once. And I decided to do this because I didn't think that the song needed to go to the pre-chorus again. I think I, I said everything I thought I need to say that was important, you know, to drive the message home for the song already. So I felt, I honestly felt like after I get to the second verse, I don't need to re- repeat the pre-chorus again. I can just go straight to the chorus and then ride that chorus out and then now the song will be done. So that's exactly what I did. And... You know, it's again, it's very weird because as a songwriter, it's like, you know, <laughs> it's it's one of those things where it's like, you know, you, you know, when you write a song like that, you got to get to a second pre-chorus if you're going to do the verse pre-chorus chorus thing. But with this particular song, it didn't feel like the second pre-chorus was necessary. Um, but it's it's very it's very interesting because it's like I can't I literally can't think of another song that does that where. It's verse, pre-chorus, chorus, verse, chorus. I can't think of another song that that doesn't have, I mean, that has the exact same structure where it doesn't go to the pre-chorus again. You only have the pre-chorus once. It's a very, very weird thing. And uh, I'm proud of myself for being creative with the songwriting process and not sticking to the rules of songwriting structure. Because once you write enough songs, you can definitely break those rules of songwriting structure. You don't need to stick to them. And I'm very proud of myself for doing that because, again, like this is what makes my song so unique from a lot of other stuff out there. So um, it's really, really cool. And, uh, you know, and I and look, I mean, another another cool part about the song is, like I said, the strings. And the reason why I put that in is because I wanted to create sort of a varied sort of arrangement with the song. I wanted to introduce a new element into the song arrangement wise so that way. You know, my listeners wouldn't get bored with hearing the same thing, you know, again, you know. So that's something to keep in mind, too. But anyways, let's get into the song's lyrics. Okay, so I figured that in this part of the podcast, since we're kind of running a little over time than I what norm, what I normally do, um, I'm going to keep this uh, a little... I'm gonna actually going to combine me analyzing the lyrics of the song and talk about what inspired me to write it, too. Because this is one of those songs, it was, and this is this was an unusual one for me to write. Because, I mean, yeah, I've I've written songs where the title comes first, but when I had the title, I actually had the melody to go along with the title as soon as I came up with it, 
And then basically I had when I had the title and then I had the, 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 the couple lyrics in the chorus and it all kind of came together all at once. And I put it down in the voice memo on my phone. But I'll talk about that in a little bit. But first, let's talk about what makes a song so great musically. But first, I have a couple of questions for you. First question is, have you ever been attracted to someone that was in a relationship? And in, 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 in most situations where that happens, it's almost kind of a doomsday sort of scenario because you like this person, you like them so much, but it's killing you because you can't have them because they're in a relationship. And it's just, it really is just like, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, doesn't matter if it's a romantic or sexual attraction, you, you really, really are attracted to this person but it's just it's hurting you so much inside that they're in a relationship. And in most situations, it's a good idea to move on to someone else because there's a lot of people out there. And, uh, you know, especially if that person doesn't that that person, the feelings that you have for this person aren't reciprocated by them. But let's make things a little bit more interesting. Let's just pretend that you you you're attracted to this person they're in a relationship but it's not like they don't like you it's not like they're not attracted to you it's not like they just want to be friends with you and that's it let's just say that you know they actually are attracted to you and they want to take things a step further with you but in their head they're thinking you know they can't because they're in a relationship too I mean, sorry, they can't because they're in a relationship and, you know, they don't want to cheat on their partner and they want to stay faithful to them. So, you know, and you know this, you know that they're 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 attracted to you and you you know, you know this for a fact, but you, you, you're just frustrated because you can't have this person, but they also are attracted to you, but they're in a relationship. So. In this particular instance, when this happens, you know, there's there's a there's a bunch of things that could happen. I mean, you know, they could break up and then as soon as they break up, you know, he or she's yours. And of course, there's no guarantee that'll happen because a lot of relationships do last for a long time. You know, if especially if they've been together for like three to five years, you know, for a very long time, but a lot of times they don't last if they're fresh and new, and that's kind of what the lyric of the song is. But I really do feel like in that sort of instance, if you're attracted to someone and they're in a relationship, but it's not like they they don't like you as well, they're not attracted to you, they're, they are attracted to you and they really are interested in you, but you, they, they can't do anything because they're because they're already spoken for. I think the best thing you can do is to not sort of you know obsess over that. You know, keep keep your eyes open for someone else. Keep your eye keep talking to other people, and you know see if you can find someone else. But if you if you can't, keep them in your back pocket, just in case, because. Who knows what what hap what's gonna happen with that relationship? You know, it may you know you, when you see them out and about, they might seem happy, but then you never know what could happen in the next five or six months. And a lot of times, they could break up. 
So, and this is a very, it's a real life situation because a lot of relationships don't last forever. People break up, people move on. And especially this day and age in the modern world of right now, a lot of people don't stay in the same relationship for their entire life. Some people do, but you know, is this isn't the sixties or the fifties or the seventies where to the whole till death to us part thing where the the couple stays together forever until they die. I mean, this we live in a different world now where a lot of young people don't like to stay in the same relationship for a very long time. You know, it's like they get bored and they get sick of it or, you know, they just they 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 grow unhappy within the relationship after four or five years in. And then, you know, things kind of then the relationship ends. So it's a very real scenario that happens when you like someone and then you find out they're taken and then they break and then the relationship ends. It's a it's a very it happens all the time. You know, and it's one of those things where it's like, and that's what makes the song so appealing. Because even though the song has an old school sound, it doesn't sound totally 100% modern like Justin Bieber or Olivia Rodrigo, that whole sort of modern sound to it. It doesn't have that, but still, it's lyrically appealing because it it's about a lyrical situation that could happen in the 60s and it can happen now, but the fact that I'm young and I'm singing about it just gives the song a lot more of, of an appeal to it. And I remember when I wrote this song, it's, it's, if you're wondering, Sam, did you write this about someone and was this about a real experience? The answer to this question is yes. Um, the story behind this song is that I met this girl in 2019 at a 4th of July party. And basically, I was there. It was this party, and people were sitting around at a campfire just having fun. And, you know, once the, once we kind of sat around the campfire, the conversation started to get pretty serious. And I started to notice that this girl might feel an attraction towards me. Uh, she was kind of giving me signals that she might be, you know, interested in me. And when I asked her out, you know, because sometimes when you ask a girl out, you know, a lot of times some they're not always going to be super nice about it if, they, if they're not interested. A lot of times they'll just say, oh, I have a boyfriend. That's it. They won't say anything else. But when I asked this girl out, she it sounded like she was very excited and happy that I asked her out. It sounded like she was very, you know, she was flattered. She seemed very you know, she seemed like, wow, this guy asked me out. That was really cool. And but she said, oh, I'm, I, I love you, Sam, but I can't because I'm in a relationship. I mean, she she didn't even say exactly that. She's kind of said like, oh, I'm I'm seeing someone right now. So knowing that it sounded like she was interested, even though she was taken. I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to keep this girl in my back pocket. I'm going to, you know, text her every now and then, see how she's doing. I'm going to check up on her and see what's up with her. But I'm going to keep her in my back pocket just in case her and her boyfriend break up. And and when I when I as soon as I had that phrase, keep her in my back pocket, that's when the song came about. I came up with that lyric and then I had those two extra lines in the chorus, so keep her in my back pocket even though she's got someone 
I'll keep remembering that pocket because maybe one day she'll have no one. And then it came up with the second verse, pre-chorus, and, and then, you know, the, the final verse. And then I remember I, I sang the, that lyric onto, onto a voice memo on my phone. And then I remember, because I was away from my instrument when I, when, I, when I wrote this song. It wasn't near any musical instrument. I was actually on a bus. I was actually going somewhere. I don't remember where I was going, but I remember going on my phone and just, you know, singing the the chorus melody into my phone. And then basically, uh, you know, and then once I had that, I picked up my guitar and started playing the chords for the verses. And then I figured out the chords for uh, the pre-chorus. And then basically I, I sort of transposed the, the chords I played on the guitar for piano and then created more fancier versions of those chords for the for the piano but really the song I pl- I, I knew I wanted to play the song on the organ because I didn't want to work too hard with these chords but I wanted them to sound powerful I wanted them to really pack a punch and and that's why when I wrote the song I put the chords down on the organ instead of a piano you know because I didn't want the song to sound too busy rhythmically I didn't want to work too hard on the chords but I wanted it to sound powerful and really really cool and that's why when I wrote the song, I put the chords down organ instead of uh, instead of uh, guitar. Now, as far as what I wanted this record to sound like musically, um, because I I was going for a very specific sound for this song, and I, I and this kind of goes back to last week's episode. But um, when I when I did B J Thomas's Hooked on a Feeling. That's actually the record that I was I was that I was listening to when I was producing Keeper in My Back Pocket and be like, okay, I wanted I want this sound for for Keeper in My Back Pocket. I want the I want the same kind of organ sound. I want the the drums to sound similar to Gene Chrisman drumming and hooked on a feeling. I want the bass to kind of sound like Mike Leach, Tommy Cogbill, that same kind of you know, spacious, very open sounding bass lines. And I want the organ to sound really spacious and open, just like in Hooked on a Feeling, you know. And and there's a couple of other records from that were made at that studio at that time that sound like that too, like Cry Like a Baby by the Box Tops and Suspicious Minds by Elvis Presley. But there's certain things that the drums do that have elements of songs that were recorded in American Town Studios in Memphis. Like for example, the pre chorus where you hear those 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 uh those snare hits on the on the those four and the four snare hits with the with the with the, with the kick and everything. Though that part was directly taken from the intro in, in which is technically the first verse in Suspicious Minds, because Gene Crispin plays that exact same part in, in that part of the song. And, and also in the intro in the cry like a baby, you know, you hear that exact same sort of part played on the drums for that song, too. And again, it's Gene Krishman, but still it's the exact same part. And I was here. I was trying to get a lot of those. Uh, again, there's a lot of elements in the song that, you know, are taken directly from records recorded at American Sound Studios in Memphis with the Memphis Boys. You know, and like and just just to give you an example, I mean, the strings in the song. I mean, you listen to Hooked on a Feeling, and the strings are really, really part of the arrangement of that song because because that's what makes the song interesting. Well, I added strings to the song very much just like, you know, Hooked on a Feeling. You know, it's it's they're, 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 they're there for a reason. And they're, and they're there to sort of create the sort of pad, the sort of interesting aspect of the song to make it sound unique and different, you know, and also to vary up the arrangement too so that way it doesn't get too repetitive and too boring. You know, so, um, you know, again, like I was totally going for that American Sound Studios vibe 
with the song, especially with the organ, you know, and, uh, you know, and again, like the reason why I threw in a key change in there, because I felt like that's where the song actually needed to go after the pre-chord, after the, the song, kind of the structure of the song, the structural cycle of the song kind of ended. I felt like, okay, I need to add something else to keep it interesting. And that's why I did the key change, you know, and also with the guitar part, you know, the reason why it's an electric guitar is that it's actually the the fuzz in the, on this electric guitar? If you notice it, it's almost kind of like the the electric guitar in Hooked on a Feeling. It's it's a very similar sound, and that's exactly what I was kind of hinting to when I was writing the song. Is that I wanted a distorted guitar for this part, but I I, I there's no way I could have gotten a hold of an electric guitar, and who knows if there's a plugin available online for electric guitar that you can buy for really cheap, you know, that I didn't know, I wasn't aware of. But the point I'm trying to make is that I was trying to model the sound of that electric guitar on those American Sound Studios records played by Reggie Young. I wanted to model that sound. And the way I did that is that I plugged in that fu- that guitar and played the fuzz tone part and made it sound really, really different and cool. And by the way, I used a Epiphone Dot for that part. And the bass I used for that song, I used a, a Fender a Squire P bass but with Labella flat one strings, just like they had in the 60s. I mean, they didn't have anything else in the 60s for bass strings except for Labella flat wounds. And, uh, you know, and uh, yeah, so um, that's what I used for that song. And by the way, uh, one thing I've kind of realized when I when I when I'm writing my songs is that. I when I was producing them, I before I was very you know against using you know MIDI drums for songs, but then I realized how hard it was to record actual drums, you know, and just the the pain in the ass you know that that came with actually recording real drums. So what happened was that I I programmed the drums, but they don't sound like 808s. They don't sound electronic drums at all. They don't have that electronic sound at all. They sound very organic and very very real. And they sound like the drums that they used on those American Sound Studios records. And I'm very, very proud of the song. And I, I had to thank, you know, my recording teacher at my school, Greg Wigfall, for, you know, for basically letting me use his samples, you know, for, for the song. Because I was very kind of him, too. And I'll find out for you guys if you want to know what kind of organ he, sample he's using the drums, too. But I'm pretty sure he's using the Abbey Road drum kit for the for the drums, you know. So he was using a vintage drum kit from Native Instruments. So... Um, you know, that, and basically that's kind of the gist for this particular song. Um, so that kind of concludes that. And one more thing before we end this week's episode of this podcast, um, one of the, the number one reason why as to why this is my favorite song off of this EP is not just because I love it so much and love how relatable the concept is and how it's a lot of people will be able to, you know, relate to the song and, you know, have been in this specific situation before. Um, one other thing I want to say is that there is someone in my life right now who I kind of feel like is keeping me in her back pocket, even though she's in a relationship. And uh won't go into it too much, but it's a long story. But she's shown signs that she is attracted to me. I mean in the past, recently, and, um, you know, within the last, you know, within, since late 2020, early 2021, so, um, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, I kind of feel like, 
she's keeping me in the back of her mind just in case she becomes available again. And uh, I'm keeping her in the back of my mind just in case she, you know, becomes available again. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like that's why the song is so good for me because it's kind of one of those full circle moments where, you know, know, the lyrics of the song describe what's happening right now in my life. So there's something to be said about that. Okay, so that concludes the first original music special episode of my 60 Music Podcast, Millennial Throwback Machine. I am Sam Williams, and if you liked my analysis in this week's song, and you loved hearing about my you know, process as a songwriter and the way I like to do things as a musician, and you loved hearing my insight as to what, how, I, how I come up with my chord changes and what I do, you know, my lyrical process and everything, um, you know, if you found it very, very insightful, please email me at samltwilliacloud.com. You can also reach out to me on Instagram at iheartoldies and listen to more of my songs at samloysmusic.net. Or you can check out this song, which is in linked in the description of this episode of this podcast, along with my three other singles and my EP, which just came out. Um, I hope you enjoyed, you know, my, you know, hearing, you know, about me as a songwriter, musician, and how I like to do things. I hope you found it very interesting. Um, also, you can check out um, my interviews, you know, with Hawk Magazine and with Shout Out LA, because then you'll get to really get to know me on a very, very personal level with with those and with those interview episodes, you know. So, I mean, with those interview. Um, you know, uh, the interviews that I did. So, um, you know, and, you know, thing is, is that even though this isn't a song from the sixties, you know, still going to be on the, the, the official millennial throwback machine playlist for YouTube and Spotify. So, um, you know, they're still going to be on there. So, um, you know, as per usual, you can listen to those other songs and playlists. And if it gives you any kind of ideas for the kind of songs I should talk about next on my podcast in the sections that I haven't yet, you can email the suggestions to me at samltwilliagloud.com. Or if you happen to check out the rest of my EP that just came out and you want me to cover one of those songs too, because, I mean, you know, I can tell a completely different story behind one of those other songs this, on this EP. And if you want me to talk about that, then if you just let me know which one that song is, you know, which song you want me, uh, mine you want me to talk about next, you can do that by emailing me at samltwilliacloud.com. You can also reach out to me on Instagram at iheartoldies. And you can check out the official Millennial Throwback Machine merch. Uh, it's a, it's on a Redbubble merch store that is linked to that description as well as this podcast. They're available to find the super cool logo that's personally for this podcast. It's the catchphrase I say at the end of every episode. And keep on checking tight. I found the name of the podcast on the bottom. would love if you guys can go check that out. I would really, really appreciate it. Um, you know, let me know what you think of the logo. And also, here's a little secret for you guys. For those of you who uh, who didn't already know this, um, the music video for the song that I just talked about this week is coming out next week. So um, I, I'm going to get the, 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 the rough draft for it on Monday and then hopefully the final draft probably by the end of next week. So you're going to see a music video for this song illustrating sort of the the whole lyrical situation of the song you're going to see that actually come to life uh in this music video which will be coming out next week and also 
Um, you know, there's I have new merchandise for the songs that just came out in this EP, Turquoise Apricot. I'm going to launch that really, really soon. Um, I have some cool new logos um, that are going to be part of the new merch that's going to come out for my EP that just came out over Memorial Day weekend. So I'm very, very excited for that as well. Um, so keep your eyes open when it comes to that. And I might, I might create like a, like a little survey monkey thing if I can and ask, you know, some people what you think of the the logo first before I put it out. Um, if you guys want to fill that out, I'm not sure if I'm going to do that, but I might. So, um, very, very excited for those, for that new merch for the EP that just came out, Turquoise Apricot, which is, you can, again, you can find that. Description of this, this episode of this podcast. Where my name is Sam L. Williams. So, um, this won't be the last original music special episode I did. It's just labeled as original music special episode one because it's the first one I'm doing where I'm covering one of my songs. Um, I hope you guys liked it. And again, like, you know, these songs are very much in line with the 60s and I love talking about my music. So, I'll def- I'm definitely going to do this again. So, uh, and I hope you guys liked my, you know, me breaking down interviewing 60s musicians and songwriters, but, you know, this has definitely been a long time coming for me because I've kind of always wanted to do this, but I've just been, you know, showcasing my, you know, my, you know, my music historian aspect of myself just for the sake of, you know, people that don't know me and, you know, don't, you know, I don't, I don't want to push in my, with my original music right away because, you know, I don't want to come across as too spammy, but now that I've done enough of that music historian breakdown stuff, I think it'd be fine just to, you know, do one of my own songs and show you guys my insight as a songwriter and musician. So, yeah. So, I'm Sam Williams, and thank you guys for joining me for this week's episode of my podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. Until next week, please! Keep things rooting.